0: Thank the Lord that we are um, here this morning. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 10. We are continuing on right where we left off last week in Revelation chapter 9. We have begun to see these trumpet judgments take place. These. Uh, the wrath of God being poured out on those who reject him. We see that this is kind of ramped up from slow as the seven seals were broken into a little more wrath as we begin to see these seven trumpets blown and we continue to see the uh, God's wrath being poured out on an unrepentant humanity. We begin to see that ramped up as we continue on in the book of Revelation. We are getting uh, close to the to the center point of Revelation so we're almost halfway through the book. And this text today kind of gives us a little bit of a break. We kind of saw the same thing as we were looking at the seven seals. In between uh, the sixth seal and the seventh seal there was kind of a a break where things kind of uh, shifted scenery there for just a a few verses for a couple of chapters. And we see a similar thing here after we see the sixth trumpet that we read about last week where God's wrath was being poured down, where we saw these, uh, these beings come out of this abyss, these locusts as John would describe them. They were like locusts that come up. We saw 200 million troops. We saw what appeared to be some kind of Massive war, uh, a large amount of humanity uh, was killed at this point. And so we had seen things begin to get ramped up. It had gotten uh, very, very um, harsh in those times that we were reading about that John was talking about. And we saw that the people would not repent, that those people who were around for those things in this time, that they would not repent of their sinful ways, they would rather live in their sinfulness. That's what we talked about last week. And then we gotta get a change of pace here this week. Now, chapter ten, at first look, at least for me, it was kind of tough because you know I read through it and I do this a lot. Maybe you guys do too, or maybe it's just me. But have you ever read through some verses or a chapter two in the Bible and you just you're just scratching your head saying, What in the world does that even mean or have to do with anything? Sometimes I do that, especially on the heels of what we just read last week. I was a little dumbfounded as to what 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 John meant here. But typically, the way it works is is that if we begin to seek the Lord and we begin to look at His Word, I believe God will always speak to us if we begin to seek. He'll begin to reveal to us. There are some times that, that God doesn't give us a for sure answer. He doesn't tell us exactly what we want to know. But He does kind of guide us as to what His Word is saying. And so, uh, I started off this week not knowing Even what about this verse? Like, how am I going to preach for 20 or 30 minutes on this chapter? And now I've got too much to say. So, praise the Lord for that. But I do think there are some good things that we can get from this text today. So, we are going to read chapter 10. It is a relatively short chapter. And then we will dig into the Word. Starting in verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head, his face was like the sun, his legs were like fiery pillars, and he had a little scroll opened in his hand. He put his right foot on the sea, his left on the land, and he cried out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. When he cried out, the seven thunders spoke with their voices. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders said, and do not write it down. Then the angel that I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. He swore an oath by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. There will no longer be an interval of time. But in the days of the sound of the seventh angel, when he will blow his trumpet, then God's hidden plan will be completed, as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Now the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel, who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, Take and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. And I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Let's pray. God, I come to you this morning and I pray that your word would speak to us today, dear Lord. There's some stuff in here that definitely confuses me, but God, I pray that even in the midst of this, excuse me, in the stuff that we don't understand, God, that you would speak some, some guidance into our life, something that will help us as Christians, that we would understand the point of the text, God, the point of who you are, dear Lord, and that we would grow closer to you. So I pray that you would just uh, speak through me this morning, God, that you would hide me behind the cross that you would receive the glory today. God, I pray for any in this room that do not know you, dear Lord, that have not accepted Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation, that your Holy Spirit would tug on their heart. God, that you'd clear our minds, God, that we're not, that you're not fighting for our attention, but that you have our full attention. So I pray that you open our ears and open our hearts to hear what your word has to say. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. We see a little bit of change of scenery here as, the, as chapter 10 begins to get kicked off. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Now in chapter 4 we saw that John was taken up to heaven. John was told to come up here. and. It would appear as though through the last few chapters that we've read that John has had a, a heaven view of everything that's going on. That is, he was around the throne. He was in heaven as these seals were being broken and things were being revealed. He was in heaven as these first six trumpets were being blown. And now all of a sudden we have a change of pace. Now John appears to be in a place where he sees an angel coming down from heaven. So it would appear that John would be in an earthly view at this point. He is a little bit of a change of scenery. And what he sees as this angel comes down is not that he's just a regular angel, but John refers to him as a mighty angel. I think we see evidences that there's varying degrees of angels throughout the Bible. There are some that are referred to as mighty, as we see here. We see a mighty angel mentioned on a few occasions in the book of Revelation. So I would think it's safe to say from the text that not all angels are created equally. Now, I don't think that means that this angel, like he was going down to the gym and he was just buff and he was strong and there were some wimpy angels and they didn't do as much and they were kind of lazy and ate potato chips. I don't think that's what John means when he says a mighty angel. I think all angels are mighty, but there was something different about this angel. There was something different that called John to refer to him as a mighty angel. Now, we have some descriptive words about this angel. John says about the mighty angel that he was surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. Now, we see the cloud mentioned sometime in Bible in reference to the Lord. Some would say that this cloud may be representative of God's judgment. We see that in the Old te- uh, Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, where it's talking about God's judgment and God's uh, wrath, punishment being poured out upon uh, some people. We see that the, the clouds, the dark clouds are referred to there. So it could be that this cloud is representative of, of God's judgment. It could be a similar, that, that uh, it's representative of God being there as a protector to God, his people. We see, um, if you look back in Exodus, when Moses is leading God's people from Israel uh, through the wilderness and all that story, you can go back and read it, it's a good story, that God would guide them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. So it was something that uh, God would use to guide his people. It also says about the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire uh, when we see the Egyptians coming back after the Israelites. Pharaoh had let them go. And then here come these Egyptians coming right back after them. And it said was that God was looking in the morning watch through the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And that he sent destruction on those people. He, 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 he made it where the, the uh, Egyptians could not capture the Israelites. He put them, uh, messed up their chariots. Everything was kind of a ruckus. Everything was all messed up. And so we see the pillar of fire in the Old Testament as God guiding his people. It was for the good of his people Israel. But it was also in judgment and punishment of those who were coming after Israel. Those who were wicked. Those who were enemy of God. So this cloud could be representative of either or. or. It could be representative of both. That is, it is a symbol of guidance and protection for those who are in Christ. Something that we can be encouraged by. And it is a symbol of judgment and punishment for those who are apart from Christ. And so here is this angel who is surrounded by a cloud. Some say that this may be some cloud of witnesses, similar to what is mentioned in Hebrews. That is, some Christians, some saints. Who knows? I believe that it's probably representative of, of, of God's judgment and God's protection, but it's up to interpretation. There are a lot of different views. He's surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. Now, we saw a rainbow around the throne earlier on in the book of Revelation. Around the very throne that God sits on in heaven, a rainbow was around, a beautiful rainbow. And so, what I believe we can get from this is that this mighty angel was coming on behalf of the Lord. He was given authority by the Lord. We see uh, some language there with rainbow that lets us know that he comes from the Lord. Over his head, the rainbow was... His face was like the sun. His legs were like fiery pillars. We see those fiery pillars again. We just talked about that in in Revelation. There's another good uh, illustration to to back up that point. It said his face was like the sun. His face was radiant. His face was glowing. This is not the first time we see uh, this kind of imagery in the text. We see it with Jesus himself and the transfiguration when he was sitting there on the mountain and he was uh, praying and there was his face shone like the sun the text says we see in the old testament when moses went up onto the mountain to speak with the lord when he received the 10 commandments that his face it shone it was bright because he was in the glory of the lord i think that's what that's what that is representative of here. I believe that this angel's face is glowing and it's shining bright like the sun because he is reflecting the glory of God. We are seeing the glory of God reflected in this mighty angel that's coming down. So we're starting to get a picture of of at least what this angel angel is like even though we don't have a name for the angel per se. Some would say that this mighty angel is Jesus Christ himself. It could be. I don't believe that to be the case because I do believe that John knows the difference between a mighty angel and Jesus. And he refers to mighty angels and Jesus differently in the book of Revelation. So I do believe that this is not Jesus Christ himself here. I believe it is a mighty angel of God that he has sent to John for this next part of the Revelation. And he had a little scroll opened in his hand. Now, what in the world could this little scroll be? What could it say? What could it mean? We saw earlier in the book of Revelation that there was a scroll that was sealed with seven seals. And everyone in heaven was was mourning because there was no one who was able to break its seal so that it could be read. In come Jesus. There was one who was worthy. And Jesus began to break these seals as we had studied so far in the book of Revelation. And each of these seals brought with it some judgment and some punishment and some hard times. But by the time we get to this point in the book, the seals have been broken. We have already read some of what is sealed and the trumpets being sounded. And so the little scroll could be representative of the fact that there is just a little left. That the majority of what was written is gone. But there is just a little left. It could be something as simple as though the scroll appeared small because it was a mighty angel. Perhaps the angel was so big that the scroll seemed small in his hand. Some would say that the little scroll represents the word of God. I don't know which one of those it is, but the angel presents this little scroll to John. He had a little scroll opened in his hand. He put his right foot on the sea his left on the land now when i first read that i was thinking well that doesn't seem very spectacular because i was i was i just wasn't thinking very good i guess and i was thinking well we can go to the beach and we could stand with one foot kind of on the ocean and one foot on the sand that doesn't that doesn't sound very mighty and then then it hit me like you big dummy this angel is probably not the same size as you are this angel is probably massive What John is seeing here is probably not some angel that's six foot tall with one foot kind of hovering over the the waves on the beach and the other on the sand. What he is probably seeing is a massive angel. Now, I can't even begin to speculate of how big this angel is, but I believe that from the size of the scroll that it could be that it is a giant, mighty angel. Now, I don't know if the rest of the world... We'll see this angel. I don't know if this was just part of John's vision or if this is something that will actually happen in the last day. But this angel came down with this little scroll. And it said that he put his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And when he cried out with a loud voice like a roaring lion, when he cried out, the seven thunders spoke with their voices. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders said and do not write it down. Now the seven thunders, what in the world could that be? I believe that it's God. I believe that it's the voice of God himself speaking to John here. Now I think we have some good good text to back that up to give some good evidence that that's probably the case. One is that seven is a number of perfection. It is a number of completeness. And what is more complete and more perfect than God himself? But we have some references in the text as to where God is speaking and it's referred to as thunder. We can look at some of those if you guys want to turn with me there. You can. In Job chapter 37 verse 4. Job chapter 37 verse 4. Then there comes a roaring sound. God thunders with his majestic voice. So there's one reference of God thundering with a majestic voice in the Old Testament. I'll read another one to you from Exodus chapter 19. On the third day when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a loud trumpet sound, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. So I believe that the one speaking to John here in the book of Revelation is none other than God himself. Now there are more references in the Old Testament of God speaking in his voice being referred to like thunder. And we see this when speaking to John in Revelation chapter 10, who is God and he tells him something. And John, as he had done throughout the whole book, John had done a good job. John was receiving this revelation. He was supposed to write it down. He was supposed to share it with people. And so he began to get ready to write the message down. But a voice from heaven said, Do not write down what the seven thunders just said. What in the world did those seven thunders say? I wouldn't even begin to speculate. It is, it is beyond any human being to even guess what the Lord could have possibly spoken to John there. I don't even have an idea. I wouldn't even begin to have an idea. God's ways are so higher than my ways that I don't even know. Let's read a little further. Then the angel that I had seen standing on the sea, on the land, raised his right hand to heaven. He swore an oath by the one who lives forever and ever who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. There will no longer be an interval of time. Now some translations use the word delay there. There will no longer be a delay. That's probably the more accurate text. In the actual literal Greek, if we translated it uh, from the literal Greek, it would be delay no longer will there be. Kind of sounds a little bit like Yoda. But uh, the... the, uh, Point being there, that there's not going to be any more delay. What does that mean? What does that mean that there's not going to be any more delay? Does that mean that Jesus is coming right now and it's done? Well, that can't be the case. We're not even halfway through the book yet. There's still a lot more things that are going to take place. But what I think it's saying is that that the plan is drawing near to the end. That there's not going to be any more delay. That things are ramping up quickly. That it is soon about to end. When I read that, I thought about a football game. The football game's going on, and as it gets close to the end of the game, when it gets to the two-minute mark, there's a two-minute warning. And you know when the two-minute warning comes, you know if you're down, you better get ready as a team. You know if you're losing, you don't have much time. You better get your plays figured out, and you better score quick, or else you're going to lose the game. And I think that's kind of what God is doing here. He's giving those who read his word, us and anybody else who ever reads it, a warning to know, look, this is, this is about to be the end. There is not much more that's going to take place after this. It is drawing near. We have already seen the seven seals broken. We have seen six of the seven trumpets. We are about to see the last trumpet, which is going to bring these seven bowls of wrath, which are going to be increasingly worse of what we've already seen. And I believe God is saying here through this angel that the time is just about finished, that it won't be long now. Now... It won't be long now. Could that be three and a half years, the second half of the tribulation? Could it be a few months? Could it be a few weeks? Could it be more years? I don't know. But it would appears, though, in the book of Revelation that it will not be long, no more than a few years at most, after this message is proclaimed. And so there's not going to be any more <laughs> delay. But in the days of the sound of the seventh angel, when he will blow his trumpet, then God's hidden plan will be completed as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Now what in the world is God's hidden plan? That was the first thing I thought. Is there something in God's word in the book of Revelation or elsewhere in God's word that is hidden that that, that God has not revealed to anybody at this point? That at that day and hour when these things begin to unfold that something that is hidden is going to be revealed and everybody's going to be like, Whoa, I never knew that was there before. It said he announced it to the the prophets of old and the servants of old. So what could be this hidden thing that the Lord is talking about, that this angel is talking about? I believe that the hidden thing is Jesus Christ himself. Now you say, now wait a minute. Jesus isn't hidden. Everybody (coughs) knows that Jesus is God's son. That's not a hidden plan. That's a well-known plan. But we see Jesus referred to as that hidden plan some in the New Testament. We see it in Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 through 29. I have become its servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you. To make God's message fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. The mystery that we see referred to oftentimes in the New Testament, the thing that is hidden, is not hidden. Paul tells us in this verse, the mystery of past and things hidden of past is none other than Jesus Christ. I believe that is the mystery that is being spoken of in this text, although it could be some mystery that God has not chosen to reveal to anybody until at this point we see that this hidden thing will be accomplished. I think the hidden thing, though, is Jesus Christ, and what will be accomplished is Jesus Christ will come triumphantly, and he will be King of kings and Lord of lords, and the one who was hidden for so long has now come to be in Jesus Christ. The world knows that through the message of God's Word, and through the preachers of the day, and the disciples, and Paul, and all these who were teaching that there is no mystery. The mystery of Christ, or the mystery of God, is Jesus Christ, who has been revealed, and And Jesus Christ, who is that hidden one, will come and then all things will be accomplished. Everything that God has set in place that he announced to his servants and the prophets will be accomplished. Everything that everyone in the Old Testament was looking forward to would be accomplished. And you say, well, Jesus ain't in the Old Testament. You better go back and read again. Jesus is all over the Old Testament. All these prophets that are prophesying, they're prophesying about Jesus. They're prophesying about things to come. All these stories that don't seem like they make sense in and of themselves, when you read about the cross, when you read about Jesus Christ, when you read about uh, his life and what happened to him and what's going to come, and you go back and you read the Old Testament, you say, Whoa, God was totally showing us what it was going to be when Jesus got here. And so I believe that Jesus is the thing that was hidden, and when he returns... All of God's plans, everything put into place from Genesis to the end of Revelation will be accomplished. And that day is coming soon, the angel says. There's not going to be any delay. Now the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, Take and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. Now that's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. It's not unheard of, though. We see this mentioned in the Old Testament, where someone is told to eat God's word and that it will be sweet like honey and bitter. What in the world does that mean? That John is supposed to go and take this scroll, he's supposed to go to the angel and ask for this little scroll, and he is supposed to eat it. Well, there are many different interpretations as to what this could possibly be. One interpretation is that the little scroll could be talking about those events that are going to come, the judgment that is going to come, the wrath that is going to be poured out, and how sweet that will be for those who are in Christ. Because don't forget earlier on in the book of Revelation, we saw the martyrs crying out, saying, God, when will vengeance be served? When will you avenge our death? And they were given white robes and told just to wait a little longer. And so it could be that the sweetness is that that... Vengeance! God has avenged those who are in Him, those who have been martyred for years, those who have been abused, those who have accepted Christ. All of a sudden, God's justice is served and the evil is punished. It's going to be a sweet day for Christians. It's going to be a sweet day for God's people. But boy, it's going to be a bitter day for those who aren't in Christ. Can you imagine the bitterness of the wrath that is to come? The eternal torment and the lake of fire that we see in the text. Could you imagine how bitter that will be? One interpretation is is that the little scroll could be representative of God's word. It could be representative of the Bible. And that is that it's sweet when we partake of it. We read God's word and we hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace that he brings and that he offers forgiveness and salvation and how sweet that is. And then some days we open it up and we'll read some stuff that, as we would say, steps on our toes. Yikes. Well, it's kind of bitter. It's easy to eat up those good verses, those encouraging verses, but boy, when we get to them tough ones that kind of hit a little close to home, those are bitter. I don't know which of those interpretations it is. It's, it, it's plenty more that you can choose from. But John yeah. partakes of This scroll that he asked the angel to give him, and he eats it, and there is a sweetness and a bitterness there. And afterwards, and I was told, You must prophesy again about many people's nation, languages, and kings. So John had been prophesying, he had been writing all this stuff. There was kind of a shift, a change in pace from the sixth trumpet, kind of some. Some strange things took place. Mighty angels and little bitter and sweet scrolls and seven thunders. We don't even know what they said. And all these things took place. And then he was told, keep prophesying. You got a job to do. Now it could be that this comes in God's word. That God places this part of the vision here. Because God knows that the reader needs to kind of catch their breath a little bit. <clears throat> Because after all, if you'd read through the last three or four chapters of Revelation, it's like it's getting bad. It's heavy stuff. So perhaps God put this here for the good of the reader. I think in a simple sense that could have been it, but I think there's a deeper meaning there. I think there are some things that we can take from this passage. Now, we don't know what the seven thunder said. I can't tell you without a shadow of a doubt exactly what the little scroll and the big scroll means and all this big mighty angel. I wish I could. I wish I knew every single little thing. But as I prayed through it, as I studied, I said, God, what in the world does this text mean? Like, what can we get from this? There were several things that as I began to read this text and go back in the Old Testament and New Testament and see some of this similar imagery uh, uh, written about, that there were some things that I believe God said we can take from this text. There were four things that I think that jumped out that we can learn from this text. The first of which is that god is in control god is all powerful we see the mighty angel who i believe comes with authority from god we see that he is both on land on sea and at one point he raises his hand to the heavens and we see in this text that god is the creator of all things god is perfectly in control in the book of revelation it's not like these things that have taken place have caught god by surprise oh, the devil's trying to do things, the devil's trying to cause war. It's not like God's saying, man, I didn't see that happen. That's not what we see at all. I think what we are reminded of in this text here is that God is in complete control. He is in control over every aspect of everything that's gone on to this point and will continue to be in control until His plan is accomplished. I think that's one thing we see. One thing that I I got from this text that was encouraging for me is that God is with His children. I believe that we as God's children can get a lot of encouragement from some of these illustrations that point us back to the Old Testament. To know that, look, God was with His people in those days. He did not abandon them. God was with them. God punished those who were against Him. God punished those who were against His children. But God ultimately delivered His children. That's true for us, church. We have enemies who are against us today. But we have a mighty God who is still in control of everything. And He's saying, I got this. You don't have to worry about these things and these wars and these rumors of wars and all these crazy things that you've read about so far. I think that in chapter 10 that God has given the reader, the hearer, some encouragement to say, Look, I am still on the throne, I am still in control. I think the third thing that we get from this text that we can take away from it, it says there are just some things that God is not going to reveal to us. He spoke in the seven thunders and said, Don't write it down. We don't have the slightest clue. There are some things and we're in this life, as we go through life. We've got questions. We don't know why God allowed this to happen. God, why did you let this happen? Why did you let this happen, God? Why do bad people get blessed with good things? What did I do to deserve this? Why this? Why that? Why are there wars? Why are people done? All these questions, all these things we ask to God, there are some things that God is just not going to reveal to us in this life. We're just not going to know the answer to There are many things that God will. Sometimes we ask God things, ask God for things, ask God to reveal things, and sometimes He doesn't. And sometimes He does not. I think that that is true for the book of Revelation. Perhaps there is coming a day when God will begin to reveal more things to His people. Maybe that for generations upon generations that we have missed through the Holy Spirit, perhaps as the end draws near, that God will begin to reveal certain things that we didn't understand before. But we see clearly in God's Word today that there are just some things that God will not reveal. Perhaps we can't handle it. Perhaps we're not ready to hear everything. But even though there are things that God chooses not to reveal to us, God has chosen to reveal everything that we need in Jesus Christ. There is nothing else that needs to be revealed. We know that God is in control. We know that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And we know through the book of Revelation and all of the Bible that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are victorious and we're taken care of. The last thing that I think we can get from this text is that we've got to keep on keeping on. After all these things were revealed to John, he saw all these things that would take place. There were some things that were revealed to him. There were things that was hidden, hidden from us that were revealed to him. But at the end of it all, after he took of God's Word and the little scroll, whatever it said, he had a job to do. He had to keep on with what he was doing. God didn't say, All right, you've, you've heard everything. That's it. Sit down. He told him to go back And get back to work. I think that's true for us as Christians. There might come situations in our life. There may things come up. There may things happen. Whatever it may be, the devil's going to try to get us off track. There's going to be things, whatever they may be. But God is saying, stay on track until the end comes. We can't just mail it in, Christians, and say, well, it's about to be the end time. I believe Jesus is coming back soon. There's lots of missionaries all over the world. There's like a hundred on that stack of cards right there on the front pew. Surely that's enough to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's getting too bad. It's dangerous. I can't go out into the world Look at all the bad stuff that's happening. I'm just going to mail it in. But God's Word never tells us to mail it in. God's Word tells us to run the race with endurance. To keep on going to the end. Through the hard times, through the good times, and everything in between. Keep on trucking until Jesus Christ comes back. And I think the last thing we get from this is that we need to devour God's Word. We need to devour when God speaks to us. The little scroll that John partook of, he completely devoured it. And when we devour what God speaks to us, whether it's through His Word or whether it's through meditation and prayer, when we hear the Holy Spirit speak, there are going to be times in our life where God is going to put a sweet spirit of encouragement and comfort and He is going to remind us that we are in Christ and we are going to receive great joy from that. When we devour all that God has, sometimes there is going to be some sweet joy from that. But sometimes when we devour all that God has for us and the Holy Spirit speaks to us, it's in conviction. It's some bitter sinfulness that's in there. Stuff that kind of makes us cringe because we know we shouldn't do it. We read God's Word and we we begin to devour it and soak it in and it's good and then all of a sudden we get to some stuff and it's like, oh, man God, I'm guilty. But we need to keep on devouring God's Word because that, is what's going to keep us on the right track. That's how God's going to speak to us. That's how God shows us what's required. That's how God gives us kind of an outline of, look, this is how I want you to live. Follow what Jesus Christ did and live in righteousness and grow in me and grow in maturity. And when we see those bitter times in our life, let's go to God and repent. Let's not be guilty of the same thing that those people in Revelation chapter 9 were. And that was that we see God giving us an opportunity to repent and we turn it away. So if God is speaking to you today, don't turn Him away.